Lying off the northwest coast of Scotland is a group of islands known collectively as the Hebrides. They are Harris and Lewis, North and South Uist, Benbecula and Barra. These ancient and remote islands are as mysterious as they are beautiful. With the competing forces of the strong Atlantic Ocean and the Gulf Stream, nature is unforgiving. Yet, this brings with it unique opportunities and habitats for birds, mammals, marine animals and fauna not seen elsewhere. The Isle of Lewis is 680 square miles and is the northernmost island. It has a population of approximately 19,000, the majority of whom are concentrated in the town of Stornoway. It was previously inhabited by the Picts and was under Norse rule from the 9th century when the Vikings settled there. Following the Treaty of Perth in 1266, Lewis and the other islands became part of Scotland once again. Almost six centuries later, on a day in April 1831, a farmer was out grazing his cattle when one of his animals unearthed what would become one of the most important archaeological and historically important finds to this day. This is the story of the Lewis Chessmen. I'm Leanne Walker and this is Wonder, the show where each week I bring you tales of wonder and curiosity about the people, places and events that shape our daily lives. So on that April day in 1831, Malcolm MacLeod was out with his herd of cows when one decided to wander off on its own, away from the herd. Malcolm went after it and found it among the sand dunes on the beach near Yug on Lewis. On those dunes, as the legend suggests, he stumbled across a stone-carrying case that had been buried in one of the dunes. It was this case that contained the beautifully carved items that are now famously known as the Lewis Chessmen. He rushed home to tell his wife, unsure of what he'd found, but he knew it was significant. There were 93 pieces in all, 78 chessmen, 14 tablesmen or draftsmen, and a buckle which may have been attached to a bag that held them. The chess pieces included 8 kings and 8 queens, 16 bishops, 15 knights, 12 rooks and 19 pawns. Many suggested that there was once at least 4 separate chess sets of which some pieces are still missing. The game of chess was invented, it's believed, in India around 500 AD, then spread through the Middle East and into Europe over the next few hundred years. It's always been a game of strategy, a war game to many, and to that extent it's largely unchanged. What has changed, however, are the pieces, their purpose and the part they play in the game. Chess has two opposing armies who line up to march across the board, with pawns in the front and officers behind. The way the pieces are named and shaped tells us a great deal about how that society functions. For example, in India, there are pieces called war elephants. In the Middle East, pieces are more general, less defined as animal or human figures to meet with tradition, whereas in Europe, they're given more human-like qualities. When you first see the Lewis chessmen, the thing that strikes you is their size. They're much bigger than the pieces we play with today. The king's the largest piece and is about three and a half inches high. 
They're all carved out of walrus ivory and whale's tooth, most of them having been beautifully sculpted to resemble kings, queens, warriors and bishops. The figures appear to have a life of their own. They've got characterful expressions and each represents the status at that time. When they were first found, it was noticed and documented that some of the figures had traces of a dark red stain, almost beetroot colour, suggesting that the opposing players may have been red and white, but that stain has now gone and all the pieces are a pale creamy brown colour. Pieces were carved very intricately, with fine detail that it's believed only a master artisan could have created. Certainly not for general purpose or for purchase, but most likely a commissioned piece. From the facial expressions to the carvings on the thrones, the loose chessmen are works of art as well as works of history. The kings sit on ornate thrones carved with flora and fauna, and they have both of their hands on sheathed swords. Their faces are either cleanly shaven, or they have a full beard, but in both cases their faces are thin. They're sitting slightly forward and appear to be looking down as if contemplating what the next move is going to be. The Queen, unlike Indian or Middle East society, where the rulers' wives would generally have remained out of public view, the European Queen enjoyed a public role and the high status of advisor to the King, and so the Queen sits proudly beside the King on the board. The Queen pieces all have a veil beneath their crowns to cover their hair. They're sitting with their left arms across their laps and the hands are supporting their right elbow. They're again leaning slightly forward and resting their cheek in their right hands. What's interesting though, and somewhat puzzling to the academics, is the expression on the Queen's face. They can't decide if the Queen is bored, is concerned, or is contemplating what's ahead and how she can help to solve the situation. Turning to the bishops on either side of the king and queen, some of them are standing and others are sitting. They're all wearing mitres and hold croziers. A few are holding a book, while others are holding up their hand as if giving a blessing. The bishop in medieval Europe was one of the great powers of the state, held in high regard. He controlled not only spiritual life, but he commanded land and commanded men. Some historians believe that these pieces are the first known examples of bishops appearing on a chessboard. In these pieces, the mitres that the bishops are wearing have peaks at the front and back, and then there's a small depression in between. And it's the mitres that have helped the scholars and historians to actually date the chess pieces. Before the introduction of this design in 1150 AD, mitres were worn with the peaks on the side and the valley running from front to back. The design of the headgear was changed in 1200 AD, so it gives with fair amount of certainty that the pieces were crafted between 1150 and 1200 AD. Next up, the warrior knights. The knights are long-haired and they're carrying a sword and shield and they're all on horseback, suggesting they're ready for battle. The knight piece is the one piece that's unchanged from the Indian chess games. He's the same mounted warrior across all games, across all countries, throughout the ages. 
And last on the back row are the rooks. These are also referred to as warders or armed guardians. The rooks all have a helmet, a shield and sword, and some of them are standing upright as traditional warriors. Some stand menacingly, their eyes almost popping out of their heads, chewing the tops of their shields. Historians believe that these warriors are berserkers, a word that comes from Old Norse berserkir, or bear shirt. The berserkers were famed fighters in Norse legend, who before battle would use shamanic practices to reach a trance-like frenzy. This allowed them to fight with uncontrolled fury, because they believed that the spirits would protect them from harm. This is where the word berserk comes from, and we can see why. Finally, the pawns, lined across the front, taking the onslaught and offering some protection to the king, the queen and their warriors. The pawn is the one piece of the Lewis chessmen that has not been intricately carved or given any kind of human appearance. They're simple pieces of carved ivory in an almost bullet shape. In medieval society, the pawns represent the peasants, brutally conscripted onto the battlefield. They're not given any kind of status or personality. They are interchangeable, easily forgotten, and hence, no need for adornment. So we know what the pieces look like, but where do they come from? And how did they end up on the Isle of Lewis in 1831? We know they were carved out of walrus ivory, and we know that they date from about 1150 to 1200 AD. They were found on that beach on Lewis, and at that time, the Isle of Lewis belonged to Norway. The language of Lewis at the time was not, unsurprisingly, was Norse, the relic of which can be seen to this day in some of the place names on the island. The island's archbishop had his cathedral in Trondheim, which is 250 miles north of Oslo. And Trondheim was one of the great centres for carving walrus ivory. And the style of the Lewis chessmen is very close to pieces made there. We know that similar chess pieces have been found in Ireland, and Lewis was a staging post on a sea route between Trondheim and Dublin. So one theory is that a ship carrying a merchant from Norway to Ireland was wrecked off the coast of Lewis, and his goods were washed ashore. And this could explain why there's enough pieces for several sets and that some may be missing, some having been lost to sea. No one knew of the existence of the chessmen outside of Mr MacLeod and his immediate family and friends on the island until they came to the attention of the Society of Antiquaries of Scotland in 1833. Malcolm MacLeod sold the pieces he had to a Captain Ryrie and he brought them to the Society where they viewed them. A record of the minutes state that there was some discrepancy from the captain about where and how they were found. The society tried to buy them for their collection, but unfortunately they had insufficient funds. So they were sold to another wealthy collector who kept a few for himself and then passed the remaining 87 pieces, the 73 chess pieces and 14 draftsmen, to the British Museum where they stay today. The remaining 11 pieces were later gifted to the Royal Museum of Scotland and they are now housed there in a permanent exhibition. 
The loose chessmen were certainly not the oldest chess pieces to have been found. But what we do know is that around a thousand years ago, these unique pieces were carved by craftsmen for show rather than function, and that they have survived in incredible condition in the numbers that they have. They are without doubt one of the smallest, but one of the greatest ancient treasures of its kind yet found. They are a true wonder. Thanks for listening. For more information, links and sources, head on over to www.injustoneday.com forward slash chessmen. Just before I go, I'd like to invite you to leave me a message about anything that you're curious about and would like to hear more about on the show. You can let me know at www.injustoneday.com forward slash say hello. You can leave me a message on the website and there's some instructions there on how to do that. Or you can just email me at hello at injustoneday.com. But until next time, thanks for being here and have a great day.